if you have a quality product that it, it, if you build it, they will come, kind of. Welcome to the Corner Booth, where conversation is on the house, and everybody has a story to tell. Movie fandom runs the gamut. For some, a decent rack of DVDs or a poster of their favorite flick hanging on the wall is all they'll ever need. And then you've got your super enthusiasts, cosplayers and the makers of fan films who take their love of particular characters and motion pictures to exceeding and often stunning levels. Others sit quite comfortably in the middle, passionate cinephiles who revel in the comfort of repeat viewings, enhanced experiences, and the opportunity to sometimes bring home a little piece of the movies that mean the most to them. So for thousands of film freaks out there, John Heilman is the man who's made it possible to bring home those kind of beloved, screen-accurate items. And he's joining me today in the corner booth. See, John is a movie prop replicator and the artist and shop owner behind Metropolis Graphics. With a client base consisting of folks like Mythbusters Adam Savage, staffers at Weta Digital, ILM and Pixar, down to guys like me, John's hyper-detailed recreations of famous movie props give moviegoers the chance to express their fandom in original, decorative ways. And they speak to John's incredible talent and remarkable passion for a medium that means so much to him. We're going to talk classic Hollywood, the different challenges of capturing and creating screen-accurate movie prop replicas, and most importantly, if you're an artist or creator yourself, John has invaluable advice and information on how to turn your handmade creations into a thriving online business. So pull yourself a tall one, put on something nice to wear, and join me and my new friend John Heilman right here in the corner booth. Metropolis, 1927. Does that have something to do with the name of the company? Yes, that's where I got the name of the company. Um, always a favorite film. Uh, I think I first saw it uh, our uh, photography class in college when to, to see the, the Giorgio Moroder version, which had colorized with rock music to it, and that's the first time I'd seen it. And uh, that just stuck with me, and then I sought out the, uh, the original, and I've been a fan ever since. It was so visually dynamic, and I'd never seen any. I really still have not seen much by Fritz Lang. But uh, it just impressed me how dynamic it was and for the time period. It's that robot that had to play a part in this whole prop replicating business, right? Like, because that's, is, is that not the most quintessential sort of just gorgeous looking, like that's the movie poster of all movie posters? The beginnings of my fascination with movie props probably go back to childhood, but yeah, that certainly did fuel the imagination. You know, it stuck with me how many, unfortunately, decades ago I was in college, but that has stuck with me. But yeah, there have been many influences over the years, but that was certainly a big one. Even more than what influenced your desire to make certain props, what was your entree to cinema? Like, what, what are your favorites? It's very wide-ranging. I don't, I mean, I, I, obviously I love science fiction, as you could probably see from my, my product mix, but good drama. Yeah, I mean, my, my 
DVD shelf has just everything in it, very eclectic, like all kinds of just good cinema. Murder mysteries, classic films, 50s sci-fi, current sci-fi, I'm a big Marvel fan, always a big Star Trek, Star Wars fan. I love Humphrey Bogart movies from, you know, 40s and 50s. So, I mean, it's, it's really just a good story and entertaining and something that I would want to watch again. And although I do gravitate probably more towards sci-fi fantasy overall, it's still very wide-ranging. It's really just about the quality of the story. I think a movie, I mean, I, I use the term comfort movies, and those are things that if you just happen to be flipping channels and it's on, you just have to stop and watch it. And I, I my number one, I think, in that area is probably North by Northwest. Um, but I have a lot of movies like that where it's just, it's, it's so good, it's a journey you want to take again and again. So, so you're a big Hitchcock guy? I'm a big Hitchcock guy with the handful that I'm very familiar with. And I know I, I just, uh, a friend of mine actually just um, turned me on to some of his older movies, which I've never seen. But I mean, I think all the really obvious ones, Psycho, North by Northwest, Vertigo, Rear Window, and, and on and on, Strangers on a Train. And What do you think about a film like Rope? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I do like that. And the, just the way it was filmed to look like it was just basically a play in one set. And, I mean, you know, masking the few cuts that he made. I, I was fascinated by that. I really, didn't even, I really didn't even notice that on my first viewing. I don't know. I just think that that rope is the sort of I think that's like the unsung hero of the uh, Hitchcock catalog. It's I'm not sure. It just it gives you almost this claustrophobic feeling of everything closing in around you. And I think that's kind of how the, uh, the uh, protagonists were feeling that Jimmy Stewart was learning more and more and getting closer and closer to the truth. And yeah, it's very, it's a lot to coordinate the changing of the, of the daylight outside. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's just really a, a lot of fun to watch and, and to really watch deeply and to just look for those details. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the product of its time, too, but it's still something that you can... I mean, I, I think probably that way with a lot of Stanley Kubrick films. You just, you're almost looking at a master excelling at the highest possible level in, in what he can do. Just his films, too, are just some things you can... And people have been studying them for decades and constantly learning more things about just the craft. He was, they were masters of their craft. Okay, what, what's your favorite Stanley Kubrick film? It's probably got to be 2001, just because I'm such a huge sci-fi fan, and that was the first one I saw of his. And I think I purchased probably six versions of it over the last 25 years, you know, starting with VHS, then Laserdisc, then the first DVD, then an a expanded DVD with more extras, and then the first Blu-ray, and then a remastered version of this or that. So it's the same movie, just... Better and better quality, and I'm sure there's probably a 4K disc out there now somewhere. All right, well, let's talk Shining then, because that's kind of what brought us together. Yes. What is it about The Shining that's just absolutely perfect? There's a lot. I think it's Jack Nicholson's performance. It's interesting. I don't know if everyone thinks of almost a caricature of Jack Nicholson. Somebody can do an imitation of him. I don't know how much that was accurate before The Shining versus how much it was after The Shining and how much that played a part in the, the kind of caricature of the crazy Jack Nicholson character. But he was, he was just amazing in it. The, the cinematography is, is just gorgeous. The little boy, he's wonderful. And uh, it's, it's just it's a, a slowly creeping dread 
throughout that entire movie. And I mean, I think the basics of it, it's just the, the, a man who just truly hates his family and how it, it pulls him apart. And then he's in this place with these supernatural forces that just soak into him and just, he just loses himself into it. It's, it's like it's, um, he, he needs a force of some sort. And this hotel is a huge battery that just feeds him, feeds him things he shouldn't take in, but he does anyway. And that just pushes him over the edge. So what was the shining photo the first thing? Like what, where did you say I could start making movie replicas? Funny enough, it was my first one. Uh, it was, it's the replica map from the, the film Time Bandits. I started to actually get interested in prop replicas, not things that I would build, but just in general. I think when I was at a friend of mine's house and he had a, a kit, a fan-produced kit of a Star Trek phaser, and I didn't even know this world of replica props existed. And I was asking him about it. Oh, yeah, they're, they're online. And I found, and that probably ignited my passion for, hey, these things are out there. And I found an entire community out there. It's called the Replica Prop Forum. And it's just an international community of people that just love to connect to the objects from films. And that's what got me started. And then the Time Bandits map I started making uh, about 2007, and that was the very first thing I actually finished. And with not even really a sense of I'm making this to try to sell copies, I just wanted one for myself. And uh, I was doing the the production of it, and you know, sharing steps on the Replica Prop Forum, as many people do, and generating a lot of enthusiasm. And then I thought, hey, maybe a few people want to buy this. And it's uh, 13 years later, and uh, still popular. So that. That led to other things very slowly, and uh, the shining photo, again, it was just something I wanted. It's like, that's a cool thing. I want to have that on my wall. How can I get that? And I couldn't find it anywhere, so, well, I guess I just have to make it. You know, that's just, I think a lot of them start that way. That's something I want. That's interesting. I want that from that movie that I love or that TV show that I love. Is it available? No. Well, I, maybe I can make it, and that's, that's kind of how all of my creations have come to be it's it's always things that i have wanted for myself i'm always searching for those kind of things where do you know where the next one comes from it's 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 funny because there's never a plan there's never a rhyme or reason occasionally a friend will say you know what i think you should make and if i if i go oh yeah, that sounds great. Then I'll pursue that. And it, sometimes I'll be watching a movie that I've seen, you know, a dozen times and something will just jump out at me. It's like, that would be fun to have. I, my, my talents do not lie in the creation of 3D objects. I can't sculpt, mold, or cast anything. So that's why all of mine are, my background's graphic design, so all of my prop replicas are strictly two-dimensional. The stuff you're making is on a different level. Well, accuracy, and thank you, accuracy has always been the thing that always drove me. I remember when I was, you know, when I was, I'll just relate this story. When I was a kid, probably nine or ten, I was already a big Star Trek fan, and I really wanted a Star Trek communicator. And as a kid back then, you, you really didn't have any options, except I went into the garage, I found a rectangular hinge, it's about the right size, I can flip it open. Okay, that, that's a start. I found a, a sheet of metal that had punched brass uh, holes in it, and it was probably from an air filter. Cut that up, stick them together, put on a little cardboard microphone, and, hey, I've got my communicator. And that was my very first prop replica. It, it looked horrible. It, it resembled a communicator barely, 
but it's it's that's kind of the drive. I want that object to help me better connect to that TV show or that movie. And that's kind of I think it's the same in a lot of um, like even sports fans. You know, we're, we're going to buy that jersey from our favorite player. That's not that different from cosplay. You know, I mean, I'm not pretending I am Peyton Manning or whomever, but it's it's a connection to something I love. And fellow people can see that and recognize that, and we can share that connection to something we love. It's it's not that different from having friends over and they see the Captain America shield on your wall and, oh, is that? Yeah. Hey, that's wonderful. And it's another way of connecting. You're giving somebody something that they can touch and feel that seems like it comes from the universe they so desperately want to be a part of. It's, it's something that I just I wanted to do and pursue and collect, you know, these iconic objects from you know, Raiders of the Lost Star, Star Wars, and all of that. And just, it, it is another tangible way to better connect you to that project. And I, I, I recognized early on that the majority of people are not like that. And maybe it's a little bit of my obsessive compulsive nature to be like that. But I'm okay with that. It's a real service you're providing fans. Thanks. And it's, it's really just, it's a hobby and it's a, it's, it's a lot of fun just building that where someone else will look at it as work. It's just never worked for me. It's just fun. It's what can I make next? And having two nearly college-age kids, my time is very limited. But uh, so whatever time I can stash away to work on, on new projects is just really something I cherish. Wizard of Oz is in my top five. And this Professor Marvel artwork, you recreated that. I mean, there's a story behind that. You didn't just you know take a screen grab and put it on canvas. There's a big story behind that poster, isn't there? Way, way back when there was no internet, there was no cable TV. I mean, Wizard of Oz was the annual event that kids, all your friends watched. There was no question of all of your friends watched that. Every year it was on. I remember running around elementary school the next day, and we were all in character from Wizard of Oz. And that's something that old guys like me, like, ah, oh, kids today can't appreciate that. But I think to a degree you still can. There are still event things. Like, I know there are watch parties for the latest Game of Thrones episodes and Walking Dead. So I think I think that still exists to a degree. But yeah, getting back to Wizard of Oz, it's, it's probably in my top five as well. You know, growing up watching it every year, the first several years I watched it, I remember I could never watch The Witch or listen to The Witch. So I'd always have to bury my my hands over my ears, bury my face behind my mom on the couch until The Witch was off the screen. I always, I wanted something from Wizard of Oz to recreate something. And I thought there's just, there's not a lot in there. And then this, I was watching it again and I saw that wagon and that wagon art has just always been a little magical, especially as a kid. You just you're kind of entering another world, and it's kind of like this is the first step into something fantastical in the Wizard of Oz. And I just love that artwork, always have. And so yeah, I thought there's I'll just what if we recreate that? What if we assume that Professor Marvel goes from town to town, little county fairs and little festivals? He needs to put up a banner or two just to advertise. So that's that's kind of how that idea started. And yeah, then I studied and captured every screen capture that was possible and just composited everything together. 
put some put some weathering on it to make it look like it had been sitting outside for a while and uh, give it some character. But that's yeah, that's kind of how that came about. But uh, yeah, again, Wizard of Oz certainly is in my top five. If Wizard of Oz is in your top five, I gotta know what the other four. Are. I'm gonna let's see. I'm gonna go not in any specific order. I'm gonna have to say Raiders of the Lost Ark, Blade Runner, Empire Strikes Back, probably 2001. And uh, well, that's four. Put Wizard of Oz in there. There's five. Can I get your thoughts on Jaws? Because I just I respect your opinion. I'm loving this talk with you, and just would love to know what you think about Jaws. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a favorite. It started the summer blockbuster trend. I actually was too young to see it. In the, I never saw it in the theater, unfortunately. I think my parents probably prevented me. I, I would have been, was that 75? I would have been about 11. I think my parents would have just prevented me from going. But um, it is so good, and the sequels are just so bad. <laughs> you know, back in the day, sequels were not what they are now. I, I loved, um, from the, the 1940s, a uh, series of films called the Thin Man Films, and uh, it's murder mystery, husband and wife team, and the first one was the best, and every one after is less, and that was always expected with sequels. Uh, I think everyone always points to The Godfather Part Two as breaking that rule, and I think Empire Strikes Back just shatters that rule, and nowadays... I mean, if you look at sequels, they're almost always expected to outperform their original, which is kind of the, the opposite. Everything is flipped. All right, so you start making this stuff now. What happens when it's time to sell it? How did it become a store? Well, initially, I was approached not by Etsy, which is where I am currently, by a different marketplace to, to, to just... I, I had start, struck up a conversation with somebody who had purchased, I, I just sold things on eBay, really. That was how everything started. And he said, I'm going to create this marketplace, and I'd really love for you to, to, to be a part of that. And so uh, that lasted for a number of years, and then it went, unfortunately, went under. So then I just started searching, uh, where's where's the best online marketplace to, 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 to move to? And read, read a lot of reviews, and a friend of mine, she said, I have an Etsy shop, and I really think you need to check out uh, selling things on Etsy. And so it was as simple as that, really. I just migrated over to that, and I think I set up the store just in an evening. It's really that fast. And what was the first thing you sold? Um, the Time Bandits map went on there. Uh, by that time, I had made probably about four of the products that are still in my shop. I have something from The Hobbit. I think the shiny picture was up there. And I mean, I mean, if you'll note, I don't have many products in my shop because it's still, it's just a hobby for me. I don't feel that, I mean, I could, if I found the time, I could focus and probably put dozens of things up there. But again, that, that would be just products just to make money, and it's not something that I would be passionate. I have to be passionate about it. I have to want something. You've legitimately made it into a business. Walk us through that, please, because I think there's so many other people that are probably making cool stuff that just don't even know where to go, and you can be like their North Star. <laughs> For me, it was some lucky breaks, but I think it comes down to the product itself. And like I said, that started with the Time Bandits map. And that is such an iconic piece from that film. It's, I've never found anything that's quite, it's like the MacGuffin of that film. It's the driver of the plot. It's what everyone wants. It's what everyone is referencing. So that 
so defines that film that fans of that film almost invariably want this map. And I remember when I was first making it, Adam Savage from uh, Mythbusters was also on the same prop forum, and he he just emailed me out of the blue and said, I want this. I built this myself years ago. Yours looks better. How can I help you? And I think it's that the piece attracted the interest. And the better it got, uh, there was some collaboration there. The more accurate it got, the more people wanted it. The buyers attracted attention to the product. Uh, I, I mean, I can see I've sold things to Weta Digital and uh, ILM, Pixar. So it's it's it filled it filled this need that people who love that movie wanted, and that spread word of mouth. That attracted other interviews. It, it was on, you know, buyers' guides and wish lists and best of the season. And it's just, it was organic. It's not something I intentionally marketed or set out to increase sales. But I think it's if you have a quality product that, it, it, if you build it, they will come. Kind of, um, and that's really not a very, a very complete answer. But it just it grew organically from the interest generated by the product itself. So if you had, let's say, resources were unlimited, what's the ultimate prop that you would build? Oh, my goodness. Because I kind of know the one I want you to build, but <laughs> I, I, I want to hear your version first, and then I'll tell you mine. Well, I mean, if I had the ability to actually build something, which I don't, boy, what would that be? I honestly don't have a good answer. Go with yours first. Maybe that'll inspire me. Well, I think you could probably do it really cheap. You just get some crates and then put that stamp on them and do that last scene from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah, the Ark's crate. Yep. Burn off the Nazi emblems. And... <laughs> would that not make a perfect coffee table? That would be a, that would be a conversation starter. You could... Uh, I think a companion piece would be a coffee table made out of uh, Han Solo and Carbonite. I don't know if it's just cyclical, but yeah, it does seem that every property that was popular and even some that were unpopular from the 80s are, are coming back. I will die on this hill. The <laughs> 80s is the greatest decade of cinema ever. I have to, yeah, I think even if you even go back to like when Star Wars first came out, you take 77 to probably 87, and just all of the properties that we still recognize and love. I mean, you know, you've got Star Wars, Blade Runner, the Star Trek franchises, Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, Alien, Aliens. I mean, there's just so many movies in that time period that it's really, particularly for fantasy sci-fi, it's just like a, a modern little golden age, a little golden decade. There's so many things that were golden that came out of that time period. Everyone wanted a piece of that, a piece of what Star Wars did, everybody wanted. And some of it was just Roger Corman-esque and Rush, but so many properties that have been in development that were quality properties instantly got the green light when they saw Star Wars box office. It's like, oh, let's go. And let's make it bigger than we planned to. You know, because Alien was planned as a tiny, low-budget movie. And then it was two years after Star Wars. Hey, we're going to get a much bigger budget. We're going to get an A-list director. We're going to make this just, you know, and I think 
that's when the uh, the Star Trek movie, which was planned as a lower budget TV series, no, 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 it just has to be in the cinema now. We're gonna we're gonna pump a ton of money into this because that's that's where everything is headed. So I think that fueled that the blockbuster mentality, as negative as that can be, fueled so much of those so many of those projects and gave us those great films. What was the first supernatural film you saw, or the first? sci-fi movies when i was a kid our family did not go to very many movies so most likely would have been something on tv a little bit of a story here i think this was probably 1971 or 72 i was um, a cub scout at the time and we were camping in the backyard of our uh, den leader and you know so we're we're setting up our tents and getting ready to, to make dinner and the the leader comes out on the back step and just gets everyone's attention and said okay we're going to we're going to get the tent set up we're going to but I do want you to know I am going to wheel the TV out here on the back step so you can all watch the premiere of Planet of the Apes because it was the network premiere and I had no idea what it even was but I noticed the older boys were all very enthusiastic about that. And so I, I sat in the door of my tent and saw Planet of the Apes for the very first time on a, on a little TV on a back step under the stars. So that's probably one of the most memorable and certainly one of the first that I ever saw. What would you make for Planet of the Apes? Oh, I don't know. I've never thought of anything uh, successfully that I could. I mean, there was a map in uh, the first movie. Yeah, there's got to be a level of complexity to it if, if you know, anyone could make it. That's, I, that doesn't interest me. So I've not come up with anything from Planet of the Apes, but I do love, even they go from, you know, best to worst in those first five movies, I still do like the entire franchise as a whole. So, And that's probably the first film I can recall seeing of that type. John, are we friends now? I believe so. I really want to be. Great conversation with a great guy. I myself am the proud owner of a handful of John's creations. And if you'd like to be as well, I can't encourage you enough to head on over to his online shop. You owe it to yourself to at least see what my man John has on offer. It's Etsy.com slash shop slash Metropolis Graphics. Graphics spelled G-R-A-F-I-X. You'll find awesome stuff from your favorite films like The Shawshank Redemption, Goldfinger, Hoosiers, and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, in addition to high-quality movie prop replicas that we've already touched on from The Time Bandits, The Hobbit, and The Shining. And if you're somebody out there who's also making cool stuff, but as of yet hasn't found a way to monetize your efforts or connect with the consumer base, I hope our conversation today inspires you to enter the fray and get your goods out there. I want to thank John Heilman for joining me today. As always, I want to thank you for hanging out with us too. And we'll see you next time, right here in the corner booth. Last call, everybody. I don't remember what I did.